Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today I want to talk about vanity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 23 verse 1 to 12. Matthew 23 verse 1 to 12. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Place your truths in our minds, in our hearts, in our consciousness, that in all that we do we may remember what you teach us, and then allow your Holy Spirit to prompt us each step of the way, that indeed we may not fall into the trap of vanity, but always to serve you, to serve one another with a true and genuine heart of a servant. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 23, verse 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make the phylacteries wide and the tassels on the garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There have been a number of misconceptions about this passage. One of them is that the authority of the Pharisees, the teaching of the Pharisees is wrong. But it's clear in this passage that Jesus was not criticizing their authority or the teaching. He was not calling them Pharisees. In fact, he was saying that, yeah, most of the time the Pharisees are teaching right. They have the authority. In verse 2, it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Basically, what he's saying is that they have the authority to teach you. Their problem wasn't heresy. Their problem wasn't that they were teaching wrong things. Their problem was that they taught out of vanity. They taught what was right. As he said, as Jesus says, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But what they were wrong about was the attitude towards what they were teaching. The attitude of the Pharisees was that as they taught, they became they were vain in their teaching. They did not make things practical for people. They did not even try to see if they could they could practice what they were teaching. They simply taught out of their heads what was smart, perhaps what the law taught, and they just poured it out to the people and expected them to obey. What they did not try to do was to practice it on themselves to see if it would work in their lives. The second criticism about Pharisees then was that they would make a show of their authority, make the show of their wisdom, make the show of everything that they had. 
In verse 5, they said, Jesus says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make the phylacteries. Phylacteries were these like memory verses, boxes of memory verses. They would make it big and tassels on the garments long to show their position and the authority. They loved the place of honour at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. So these Pharisees were not only lapping up the honour that people gave, but they were insisting and doing ways of making people honour them even more. Verse 7, they loved to be greeted with respect. In the marketplaces, everywhere, not just in the synagogue, but everywhere they walked, they loved to be called rabbi, so that everyone would look at them and recognise their, their position and their prestige. And then Jesus says, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. Now Jesus clearly did not say then that none of you should be called should be teachers he's simply saying there is one teacher who is god who teaches he's not saying then that none of you should be teachers or none of you should listen to teachers in ephesians 4 paul clearly shows that there are many roles and these are powerful important roles the role of teacher the role of apostle the role of pastor that of the evangelist that of the prophet each of these are powerful roles and Jesus is not saying that none of you should think that you have any of these roles. Rather, he's saying that whatever roles you have, whatever gifts you have, don't get it, let it get into your heads because you have one teacher who is God who gives you these roles, who enables you. There's one father above all, so don't be called father. Doesn't mean that all of you fathers should stop being fathers. You have a role as fathers. What it means is that your role comes from God. Likewise, one should not say none of you should be leaders, for in an organization we do have leaders. But what's important is that the leaders should not get, let it get into their heads that they are powerful. They are simply instruments of God who is the supreme leader. And then finally, Jesus concludes in verse 11, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Basically, the problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they were doing wrong things or teaching wrong things. It was their attitude. They would love to be exalted. They loved to be praised. They wanted to be the greatest without serving. And Jesus was saying that when you have all of this power and authority, then be a servant. Then Refuse to be exalted. Be very careful about that. Vanity. I think vanity is a far more difficult sin, a far more insidious sin than many other sins. I know many of us struggle with other things. We struggle with anger and rage. We struggle with lust. We struggle with gossip and lying. But you see, in all of these sins that I mentioned, the result is quite obvious. When you struggle with rage, you know immediately that you're rageful. You curse and swear, you want to hit someone, you drive like a madman. It's all obvious to you and those around you. And it is most obvious to yourself, you know you are in a rage. When you're lustful, you know that you're lustful. When you look at people in a certain way, when you when we move, you move into, look into porn, it is very obvious when lust exists in your life. It's also very obvious when you're a gossip or a liar because the moment you say something, you know yourself that it is an untruth. 
people know it too. But it's different for vanity. It slips in. It is very insidious and often we don't realize it. It just comes into our heads and that's the start of our downfall. Because when we become vain, we seek glory, we, we rob God of what belongs to Him. Remember that story of the, the tenants, how the tenants were so foolish to think that they could ultimately rob the inheritance from the landowner if they killed his son, the heir. It had led them to such foolishness and vanity does that to us. How then do we, how then do we tackle this very insidious, infectious sin of vanity? It's hard. It's really hard. But there are ways where we can safeguard ourselves. The first is to be slow to speak and slow to display your gifts. Remember, be slow to speak and slow to display our gifts. One of our most pressing tendencies is that we want to be noticed. Even, even in the Gospels, when Jesus, um, the brothers of Jesus told Jesus, why don't you go to Jerusalem now to be noticed? We all want to be noticed. We want to be noticed by the boss. We want to be noticed by, by others around us, our colleagues. And especially then in church, you want to be noticed by your peers. You want to, you want to be, if you're a pastor, you want to be noticed by all the other pastors and especially the president and your bishop. We, many of us, or all of us, are tempted to want to be noticed. And we want our gifts to be recognized. But here's the rub. When we are motivated by a need to be noticed in what we do, then vanity has taken root in our hearts. One of the disciplines then is to be slow to act or slow to be noticed. When I was young, I thought that I had the gift of healing, that I, when I laid hands on people and prayed, they would be healed. But one of the things that God kept frustrating me was that he hardly gave me opportunities to heal people alone. And so when I laid hands on someone to pray at some other time before, after, or during, others would lay hands on the same person and pray. And so at the end of the day, if the person is healed, they can't say, well, Mingli, it was your hand that, that you laid on him that healed the person because a hundred other hands were laid on the same person. The person was healed. And it's a good way of helping us to recognize that the, te- the great healer does not make a celebrity of one person. The great healer uses many to heal. Same for prophetic word. When we have a prophetic word, we think it's from God. Maybe you hold back a little bit and then you discover that 10 other people have the same word and then, ah, not original already, no use. It's of no value in that sense to you to your, uh, to lifting your esteem. If when you discover that your prophetic gift is not original at all, of course you could be very excited. Wow, the thought that God gave me was exactly the same thought as he gave to someone. And that's a good thought to realize that, yeah, you're among a group who have a prophetic gift. And many in the church will have that prophetic gift as well. So delay a little bit. Don't rush to be the first to be the original don't rush to be noticed. 
pause and see God show you that there are many with the same role, the same gift as well. Same thing for teaching, for preaching, for evangelism. Do it quietly. When you teach, teach in a small group first. Don't don't ask to be placed placed um, on the pulpit um, to preach to lots of people. Do it very slowly. Practice it among um, among your friends, or teach it in your small group. Sometimes vanity gets us to weird places. When I was um, when I was working in prison fellowship, we used to interview people who wanted to come into prison. And there was one man, um, he, and I asked him, why do you want to minister in prison? And he said, I want very much to preach, but no one in my church would allow me to preach, not even my cell group. So I figured if I come to prison, at least I get to preach to prisoners. Well, he didn't get the place. <laughs> of course because you you realize that yes a person needs to practice and exercise their gifts but anyone who wants to be elevated right away to think that they have something to be noticed that would be very dangerous when i was when i started um serving in prison um the chaplain who obviously thought that i had potential because he kept me for a long time and he decided to be my mentor, the late Reverend Henry Koo, he when I first went to prison, he gave me one only one strict instruction. Don't preach, teach or counsel until I let you do so. And so my role in pr- prison, and I went every week, was to play the violin, to sing with them, to chat with them, to listen to them. But the instruction was clear, do not advise, do not counsel, do not teach, do not preach. And I thought that would last only for a few weeks. It lasted several years. It wasn't that he had forgotten about me. It was simply that he waited several years before allowing me to preach or to teach or to give advice. The reason was clear. He knew what was in our hearts, that we longed to be recognised. And he wasn't going to let me fall into that trap. The second thing to think about then to be it, is that whenever we give advice, whenever we teach or preach, we need to try it out on ourselves. The very great writer Henry Nguyen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. The part of the gist of the wounded healer is that we must know our own pain we must know what deals with our pain. Basically, it is an illustration of a doctor who operates on himself before he even operates on others. <laughs> That's a ghastly thought. I read an article about one man who did that. He, he cuts himself up. He operates himself before he does to others. As a practice in spiritual formation, that's the most important thing. Of course, as a doctor, I, I find that very hard to do. But it is a very wise practice that we practice on ourselves before we practice on others. Jesus was very clear about the Pharisees. He says in verse 4, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger 
to move them. They don't know how to do it. So as Christians who are given a role and a gift, we need first to learn to place it on ourselves and to work it out ourselves. One of the very distressing things that I experience as I counsel people is that these very troubled people may have had many, many advisors and counsellors. And that has made matters worse. When friends, well-meaning friends, tell them, oh, you forget, you, uh, um, for example, a bereaved person, a widow, for example. And one widow told me, I'm so tired of people telling me you should praise the Lord because your husband has gone to a better place. You should not be so sad. And these are crazily bad advice. Or a person who has been so badly hurt by another and friends, Christian friends, come to tell them, oh, you must forgive. You know, the Bible tells you you must forgive people. When this person has been hurt already so badly, you know what it is like? It is like giving a second punch. Because you have a, this person has already received such a wound to herself. And then the friends come and say, you are now wrong because you are refusing to forgive. You are the sinner. And that's almost like a second and third and fourth punch to the victim who has suffered much. The reality is that we are so quick often to give godly advice, biblical advice. We tell them, tell people to do certain things because the Bible says so. And we've never ever tried it out on ourselves. That's why James says, be slow to speak, slow to anger, but quick to listen. Listen to the pain that one has suffered. Listen to the experiences that one has gone through. And then be very, very slow to speak. In fact, speak only when you have tried it out on yourselves. When we teach things to others, do you know, how, have you gone through it before? Do you know what what to do, what it feels like? Do you know how to apply the Word of God into our lives that will heal rather than to add extra burdens onto others? Third then would be to encourage others to rise up. You see, one of the problems of vanity is that we often think that our gift, our role, is more important than all the other roles. That was the problem with the Pharisees too, that they wanted the best seats, the places of honour in the banquet, because they thought that they were the most honourable. Their profession was the most honourable. But the second problem is that we think that we are the best in our profession as well. So not only is our profession the best, that we are the best in our profession. And often we broke no rivals. We look at others with disdain and we look at them and say, yeah, I'm better. He's nowhere near me. What's important then is that we make a constant effort to help others to grow and to affirm others. Thank God. Express praise to God when others are coming up, when others become better than you. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to be the best. Think of it this way, if you were the best, woe betide the world because that's all you can do, that's all God can do through you. 
Look forward to people who are better than you, people who can join you in the harvest field, join you in the ministry, and enjoy the work together. Do not have rivals, but rather have comrades come alongside you to serve together. And fourth then, evaluate all criticism and feedback. We come to a point when we are vain and when people tell us something that is not pleasant to us and immediately we say, who's he to tell me these things? He's not half as good as I am. What's he telling me these things? Well, it may be true that the person who tells us things that we don't like to hear don't have the same gift as we. Nonetheless, they may have been told, they may have noticed something, they may have felt something about the things that you're doing, your expertise. Listen carefully, evaluate, maybe even talk to your friends, not in a derisive way, but talk to your friends and ask, is that true? Is this criticism true? Maybe it's not, and that's fine, then you can place it down. But maybe it's true, then take it and recognize once again that you are not infallible. You know, criticism is always a downer. It could spoil your entire day when someone tells you that something you said is not good or something you did is not good. And it spoils your whole day. It makes you really moody. But let me say that it is also not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing to, be, to discover that you're not as good, not as famous, not as popular as you, you think yourself to be. Accept these times, these feedback, these criticisms. Spend time quietly before the Lord and ask the Lord, is this true? Evaluate for me, Lord, and tell me if what is being said is true about me. And if it's not, then just let it slide and rejoice it is not. If it is, then come before the Lord and ask the Lord to change you to help you do a better job or do a different job or to be transformed. But these are some of the things that keep us from being vain. And it's important because as Jesus says, you are all brothers. You don't have one who elevates himself above you, but all of you are brothers. doesn't mean that we don't have our special roles and gifts. Within a small group, for example, there will be the teachers, and there will be the prophets, and there will be the people who can pray for miracles. There will be various people with various roles. But we all need to see ourselves as brothers and sisters, all a band of people encouraging one another to grow and to serve. And then we learn to serve quietly, lovingly, joyfully. Because that's how the body of Christ grows. And that's how the, the mission of God is advanced. Not when we seek celebrity status, but when all of us seek to do that which God has called us to. Let us pray. Father, you have empowered us with powerful gifts. You give to your people gifts that we never could dream of in our wildest dreams. And you call us then to go and minister. 
But Father, you know too that one of our biggest struggles is that of vanity. We long to be noticed by others. We long to be praised by others. We long to think that we are the best, better than all others in the exercise of our gifts. And God, vanity takes root in our lives in every way possible. And so today we ask you, Lord, lead us away from temptation. Do not allow us to hide our gifts, but at the same time as we practice, as we exercise our gifts, lead us away from temptation. Help us to value others as more important than ourselves. Help us to nurture one another's gifts, that we may rejoice when we see people, our brothers and sisters, advancing in their giftings and serving all the more. But we may rejoice even more that we are not the only ones exercising a particular gift, but many of us together do the work that people may be ministered to, lives may be healed and saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I'll see you again on Friday. God bless all of you. Goodbye.